Welcome to the Everything Eichler podcast brought to you by Bass Pro Shops and Cabela's. And I am sitting here with somebody that had an impact in my life, and I'm going to explain that. But it's Mr. Jim Crumley of Tree Bark Camouflage. And this is a story that, that's really neat to me, and he remembers the poster. We were talking about it earlier. I worked in a little archery shop. And in that little archery shop, there was a poster of a man with a black beard wearing tree bark camouflage, and it said, Jim Crumley tree bark on it. And, you know, you see things, and, and they have an impact, or you remember them. And I remember just thinking that was the coolest thing. That guy just looked so awesome to me, and that was a bow hunter in my mind. Like, that, you know, that's, that's the guy. And then in our little archery shop, we had some tree bark. So the very first camouflage I ever bought was a tree bark outfit. And I remember I bought the shirt and the pants, and I thought I was invisible. Jim, thank you for joining me today. Thank you, Fred. It's a pleasure to join you, and it's a pleasure to be here. It's a pleasure to still be kicking. <laughs> well, you know, i got to tell people this as, as we get started, because it is such an honor to, to sit here with you. And, and we also have a mutual friend, you know, C.J. Davis of Montana Decoy. And I know you guys have been friends for a very long time. But I actually am out here hunting in Virginia while we're doing this podcast, and I got lucky, and I shot a beautiful buck, and I had hung the tree stand that, that evening. I crawled up in it, and a buck came by, and it was beautiful. And I was super excited. It was a 4 by 4 But what was so neat to me is you actually came <laughs> and picked me up. CJ had to go to his son's football game, and he said, I'm going to get – you know, Jim to come get you. And I, I was so excited, like, because you understand you're still like up there with Fred Bear and Chuck Adams <laughs> oh, and, you know, boy. some of the guys that, you know, have done some major, really iconic things in the industry. So I was so honored to have you come get my deer. Thank you very much. Well, it, I, nobody was more tickled than I. <laughs> and uh, uh, I was bragging to my buddies because uh, I had two friends that were coming and hunting with recurve bows. They were traditional bow hunters and nothing pleased me more because I used to be there and uh, so it just tickled me to death uh, that CJ's killed uh, does here um, as have other friends that he's brought but I've been thinking back and I think you're the first person to take uh, a buck that CJ's brought wow uh, that has taken a buck with a bow so that's going to stick in my mind for a long time too especially because it's you it's who you are and it's my recurve and, and that i helped design recurve. a bear archer recurve yeah i was Correct. pretty excited um so uh but thank you for picking me up and that, that was an honor but i i think there are so many people that don't know the history of so much stuff and because you were such an iconic figure and like i said that that poster was there and the first camouflage i ever bought, bought was tree bark I have a ton of questions, but I, I want to start off with your camouflage was literally, it was the first non-military, is that right, camouflage that was ever, that was ever made. Correct. It, it was uh, one of those things, you know, timing is everything they say to people. And then timing for me, it just, it fell into my life because of bow hunting. It wasn't ever intended uh, by any stretch of the imagination. But uh, when I finished school at Virginia Tech, I, uh, I had an undergraduate degree in marketing, and my first job uh, in July 1st of 1969 was as a marketing teacher at T.C. Williams High School in Alexandria, Virginia. Wow. And which ended up my second year, uh, or maybe it was the third year, being the movie Remember the Titans. Uh, <laughs> yes, sir. All these, uh, okay. all these coaches were good friends of mine. Uh, even we had students in our marketing program that were played on that team. Um, but anyway, uh, I, I taught marketing there from 69 to 74, and uh, then ended up with my master's degree and went into administration for six more years, which I didn't like nearly as much as I liked my senior marketing classes uh, with working with the students. Um, in that period, though, uh, you were an avid hunter. I have to. Assume, I was. Right? I grew up being a hunter, like most of us do. Our dad, my, you know, I would tag along with my dad when I was four or five years old. But it was all, and it was in Southwest Virginia. Um, I grew up in Bristol, Virginia. 
and it was all small game. We didn't even have, uh, dad had, and his brothers had to come like five counties up into Virginia to get to a county that even had a deer season back in these days when I grew up. Wow. So uh, it was all small game, but, and we hunted ducks and doves and, but uh, rabbits and squirrels and quail and, and grouse. That was pretty much it for us. Um, uh, because of watching Cowboys and Indians, I loved uh, a, a bow, and I ended up, of course, getting a recurve bow early on and shooting a bow a lot simply because we lived in town and you couldn't shoot guns and you know, my 22 and stuff like that. Um, but by the time I graduated from high school, the only thing I'd shot with my recurve bow was carp. <laughs> so I, I really was not a bow hunter. I went bow hunting for the very first time my sophomore year at Virginia Tech because a buddy that I met at Virginia Tech's family had a farm in Montgomery County outside of Blacksburg. And uh, I did, I, we probably went the next two or three years, I probably went a couple, three times a year with him. Uh, I saw deer, never even came close to getting a shot at one, but I said, you know, this is pretty neat stuff here. Uh, it's in, you know, October, a pretty time of the year. And uh, I think that's when I first bit on the hook and then I graduate in 69, and I get to Northern Virginia, and when I took that job, I said, oh, my, the farthest north I'd ever been in my life was Charlottesville, Virginia, and I said, oh, my gosh, I'm going so far, I'll never hunt again. <laughs> and lo and behold, I get up there and start meeting people and, and getting around, and I had more hunting opportunities within two hours of Alexandria, Virginia, than I ever had at home growing up. Wow. Uh, I could go two hours into Pennsylvania and hunt pheasants. I could go two hours or less than two hours to the eastern shore of Maryland, hunt ducks and geese. And um, I could go to Quantico Marine Base and hunt deer and spring gobblers. And I did all those things eventually, but I started out, uh, the, I had a buddy up there who was a few years older than I, came from southwest Virginia also and was in an investment business and had done well. And he'd been going over on the eastern shore of Maryland uh, goose hunting. And he calls me and says, I'm going to start a goose guide service. And I said, what? He said, I'm going to start a waterfowl service over on the eastern shore of Maryland, and you're going to run it for me. <laughs> you're going to run it. I said, what are you talking about, David? And he said, no. I, I, I said, uh, this, I, we're going to do it. I said, I'm going to start out. Uh, I'll get the little pamphlets made. He said, I've been, I've been going over there for five years now, hunting with outfitters. And he said, we can do this. And I, I said, I just, I, I, do you understand I have a job at the school system? <laughs> yeah, I have a real job. And he said, this would just be weekends. You just come over on Friday nights after you get off work, school. And uh, he said, it's like an hour and 15 minutes, Talbot County, Maryland. Easton is the name of the closest town. So you weren't married then? No. Uh, I was never going to be married. That that comes a lot later. <laughs> so here I am, 22 years old, and I said, well, if you think so. And so we did, and that September of 69, I go over to help on our leases uh, brush blinds. Uh, he had an excavator come in. We dug some pit blinds, and then we had some uh, shore uh, river, river shore blinds on the Miles River and uh, – we were in these fields in September uh, and some soybean fields and some cut corn. But in the soybean fields, you know, we'd go out early in the morning before it'd get too hot and start brushing these plants. And there were these huge bucks walking around the edges of the field. And I said, David, look at these deer. And he said, oh, I know. Deer's, you don't, deer's not a, deer hunting's not a deal here. I said, what are you talking about? He said, it's all about the waterfowl. Goose is number one. And ducks, and, and you're losing and your mind. The, and the deer hunting uh, for with firearms because it's flat land, and agriculture and small woodlots is slug, shotgun slug only. One week, the first week of December, where they give waterfowl hunting a break, and you can hunt deer for one week with a firearm, but it has to be a shotgun slug. And he said. Now, bow hunters, they start uh, second Saturday in September and hunt till the end of January. 
I said, you got to be kidding me. And he said, no, I'm dead serious. I said, so what about the deer on what you've leased for us to goose hunt? He said, you shoot all you want. <gasps> oh, so you I mean, within, <laughs> you know, the state regulations. I said, you're kidding. And he said, nope. So I said, okay. Uh, now I go back to Alexandria. I'll, ne I'll never forget it was th that Monday because I had to go get a, a haircut. <laughs> and the closest barber shop. Uh, He's laughing because I had to go get a haircut <laughs> yesterday because my hair was getting a little shaggy. <laughs> uh, I don't have any much left to cut. But uh, so this barber shop is three blocks from T.C. Williams High School. Uh, my boss told me, principal of the school told me, he said, uh, uh, yeah, yeah, just it's just three blocks. And I said, okay. So at lunchtime, I go into this archery shop, I mean, to this barber shop. And I walk in, and I hear bluegrass music. And there are three chairs, and nobody's there. But I'm hearing bluegrass music, and I'm looking around, and I look up on the wall, and hear these skull mounts on the wall, and hear these Robin Hood arrows no way. mounted on in the wall. In the barber shop. In this barber shop. And I said, look at this. So I make my way. I say, hello, nobody here. Nobody says anything. Bluegrass music still playing. I walk back to the back of the rear door there, and I look in, and here are three guys sitting there, one with a banjo, one with a guitar, and one with a mandolin playing bluegrass music. <laughs> and they look up, and they say, oh, hello. And I said, hello. I said, just keep on playing. And they said, would you... What are you here for? And I said, I'm here for a haircut. Yeah. And they said, well, we can't keep on playing if you're here for a haircut. So one of them stops playing, and he comes out, and he cuts my hair. Or he sits me down. He says, how do you want it cut? I said, make me look like Tom Selleck. <laughs> and he said, you might as well go somewhere else. <laughs> you got to remember, this is... 1970, six, awesome. 1969. This is awesome. Tom Selleck was hot. Um, I've given Tom Selleck up, by the way. I'm more of a more of a uh, lonesome dove. There you go. <laughs> I like it. I like it. <laughs> uh, so uh, we get we start talking and we start laughing, and the other two brothers eventually come out and sit down. And I said, "Obviously, y'all bow hunt." And they said, "Oh yeah." And uh, you bow hunter? And I said, "Well." I think I'm getting ready to be. <laughs> they said, good, come join our archery club. No way. I said, really? And they said, yeah, Northern Virginia Archers, Norva, N-O-R-V-A. Exit before you get to Quantico. And uh, so they said, come this weekend. We'll be down there. I said, I'll be there. And I was. And who I had run into, uh, two of them, well, one of them, only one of them is left was Riley, Carlos, and Stanley Puckett. The Puckett brothers also had a bluegrass band that played somewhere every single weekend. Wow. Because they were good. I even have albums they've done. Riley Puckett, and they were all th obviously three bow hunters, and they shot competitive archery when it wasn't you when know, they weren't hunting. hunting season. Yes, sir. Um, Riley Puckett ended up being... I think, if I'm not mistaken, the first expandable broadhead person called the Blood Trailer. Wow. The Puckett? Wow. Riley Puckett. I'll be dang. If I'm not mistaken, he was the first one to do an expandable broadhead. And he had a little bit of an issue with it of not always expanding. Yes, sir. But it, it, it ended up on the market. I'm pretty sure it was called a Blood Trailer. And it had a little drop of blood you know, coming off the blade. I remember that packaging. And he had me help him with that on getting trademarked. Oh, because you had the marketing experience. Well, with the marketing experience. Yes, sir. But now, he didn't do blood trailer till after I'd done tree bark. Oh, interesting. Okay. But we started off as just bow hunting friends, and that got me going for and got me to be an archer. And, and I did bow hunter freestyle limited which was just fingers and uh uh I, I never did in my whole life use a release still don't today 
use the fingers. And uh, that used to irritate Pete Shepley, who was the <laughs> first one to do a tree bark bow. Uh, PSE was the first one to do a tree bark bow, and Pete Shepley would always say, you got to start shooting our other stuff. Yeah, yeah. And here's some releases. And I said, this Mm-mm. is not going to happen. I'll never forget the first one I ever pulled back, and it went off about halfway, and I never found the air because it went so far. <laughs> well, hold on. How did, so how did you – so you were – you were shooting with these guys, the Puckets, and, and at their archery club, the West Virginia. Virginia. Uh, yep. Or sorry, Virginia Archery Club. And then. How, so, where did now, tree, so now. Yeah, where did well, this. So this was, this is 69. Okay. So now uh, I'm preparing myself for my first fall on the eastern shore of Maryland. Where all these deer are. Goose, and, and, and are you guiding? Goose, goose guiding. Yep. But when, I, if I limited my customers out. Or if we didn't have customers that weekend, that first year, then I could bow hunt. Ooh. So David had rented a, a house. So you wanted to get your guys filled out. stay in. <laughs> and I shot my first deer with a bow and arrow, was a doe uh, in a soybean field. And with uh, a recurve or compound? Was, it, no, this, I'd already gotten my compound. Gotcha. That was a... Uh, it was a Jennings T-Star Hunter. Oh, wow. The Jennings T-Star. Yep. Sure that was an awesome bow. Tom Jennings. I think it was yep. his, Jennings one of his first ones. Anyway. Um, the old teardrop. So that that doe, that one doe, I think I've still got a picture of it or her somewhere. And, of course, I'm in my tiger stripe. Cam- camo. Yeah, military camo. That's what I used. I used tiger stripe that yep. I could buy at Quantico at the PX. That's what everybody had. And uh, that... Uh, that just, I said, man, this is it. This, this is the deal. I mean, uh, I'm, I'm going to be a bow hunter. And so the, the whole Maryland experience is what kicked me off. But now I would go bow hunting. Uh, I would go deer hunting on Quantico. Um, and, but mostly did my deer hunting and several of the deer you see on the wall are from Maryland, from Talbot County, Maryland, because of this experience. Uh, ended up also going, uh, uh, well, I think it was probably, I did five, three or four years, and then I told David, I said, can I start my own guide service for bow hunters only, not not gun hunters for deer? Oh, wow. He so said, you were going to expand said, the operation. He said, sure. He said, you can. And he said, and you can have all, if anybody books with you, you can have all the money. I said, you're kidding. He said, no. <laughs> So, um, I, uh, uh, the first stuff I got was an outdoor writer for the Washington Post was, was named Angus Phillips. And uh, I get a call from Angus Phillips said, hey, a buddy of mine told me that you've, you're the guy that did, you know, that you have a, a guide service. Uh, and I said, yes. Well, at this very same time that I was, I said, but I haven't, it's just going to start next year. This is the same time I've started work on tree bark because I just I, in the bow in, in the bow hunting woods from 69 to 74 75 um, to me especially later in the year the, the green was green camo was okay for me early on in the year but then I'm going to hunt all the way through to the end of deer season and the only colors to me that were dominant the entire time were grays and browns. And I said, I need, I need to get a camouflage that's gray and brown. Some, somebody's going to do that one day. Um, and then I got to thinking, you know what? My two favorite things are bow hunting in the fall and spring gobbler hunting in the spring. And when I let an arrow go at a deer, I have my back against a tree trunk. And when I pull the trigger on a gobbler, I have my back against a tree trunk. So what I really need is a camouflage pattern that resembles the bark or trunk of a tree. A human has a trunk, should fit in. And, I, you know, they say deer are colorblind until one talks. Who knows? <laughs> and uh, I know that, that gobblers aren't. And uh, so why if... I said, it would be nice if you could have something on to really, truly make you disappear from a critter that you're after. But if you can't, why not make look like something that's they see, but it's okay for it to be there? Natural. It doesn't spook them. It, 
you d just don't look like a, a human. And uh, so this just wore on me and wore in every next from 70 to 74 and five, I'd get the Cabela's and Bass Pro catalogs and somebody's going to do this, but they didn't each year. They didn't. So I started re trying, and of course you have to understand there was no Googling and there was no computers <laughs> and there was no yeah, that's that kind of research. Days. I had to start making phone calls and find out how you um, take a, a design and put it on fabric. And I did that. And uh, so I, now I go to the audiovisual department at T.C. Williams High School, and I borrow a 35-millimeter camera and a projector. And I go around my apartment complex or condominium complex. By 75, I was living in my, own, my first ever bought home. It was a condominium in Alexandria. And uh, had nice uh, hardwood trees throughout. And so I was going to take pictures of the sides of these trees. Like mostly hickory trees? And, well, we, we had, there was hickories, mostly oak. oak and there are a few pine. Okay. Uh, some poplar. And uh, so I started taking pictures of these trees. And then I'd take them in. I'd get the, camp, get the course, get the 35 millimeter slides made. And I'd project them on my gray Dickies work clothes. And I would take odorless magic markers and you're kidding put me on the Greg Dickey's work clothes, uh, actually would tie dye them first in, into gray and Brown. And then you would color it and in then color. So I was to make it look like, like the great, grateful dead tie dye. I learned that <laughs> from those guys and then put in the black lines to, to make it look like the bark of a tree. Um, the first suit I wore over on the Eastern shore of Maryland, uh, David, my partner there, uh, said, I got to tell you something, buddy. And I said, what? And he said, that stuff looks like you had an accident. <laughs> but he said, until you get up in that tree, and I swear, you, you almost disappear. And he said, I'm not kidding. He said, would you do me a suit? No way. Is that when and, you knew you had something? And I said, well, well yeah. So then uh, we go from 75, 76 to me playing with it. And I finally find uh, 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 that you have to have a, a, a textile artist take your design and put it in a round, repeatable thing on the cylinder because that's the way the fabrics are printed. Are you thinking and, anybody's going to steal it during this time? Are you worried yeah, I'm about wonder, that? I'm, I'm, I'm just wondering. I'm going to get a catalog, and somebody's already done it. Right. You know, at least they camo for hunters, not necessarily. Right. I mean, you got to understand. It I, was just military. I had only hunted uh, uh, deer or, or turkeys in Virginia, West Virginia, and Maryland at this point in time in my life. Yes, sir. Um, so, and our waterfowl hunting Back in those days, my dad too. Everybody was getting in a blind work, you know, Carhartt and, yeah. and Walls brown duck coveralls. Nobody even thought about wearing camouflage. Um, and it tickles me today that people get head to toe in camouflage, which is good for the camouflage guys. And then they get in a blind to hunt. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, um, the I, I do that. <laughs> <laughs> you got to wear something. Yes, sir. Yes. You got to wear That's something. Funny. So. Um, uh, I got, I, I called, uh, I finally got the design that I needed done. And there was a big textile company in Danville, Virginia that I knew of. And I called this company, Dan River Mills, huge. And I called and finally got a salesman, told him, asked, I asked him, I, I said, can you print fabric for me? I need hundred percent cotton because uh, hunters in that day, yes, sir. they were 100% cotton or 100% wool, and that was it. And I was ended up being ahead of my time on this deal, too. I just didn't know it at the time. So he said, sure, we do that. And I said, good. Uh, he said, you got the design? And I said, yes. And he said, is it in an artist repeat? And I said, yes. And what I'd had to do uh, is devise what came out to be original tree bark because all the all the uh, slides I'd taken of sides of the trees, I found that it was going to take an, 
X amount of money for each design. So I needed a design that kind of resembled most of trees, them. but didn't really look like exactly any, like any, any one, one of them. That's, okay, gotcha. That's what I had to decide to do. And by then, I'd gotten a, a, a young attorney friend who lived in my complex to uh, work on the trademark tree bark for me. And uh, then a, a copyright on the tr original tree bark pattern. Oh, okay. Very and important. So, yeah. uh, the guy, Dan River Mill, says, uh, okay. He said, now, how, uh, how many yards do you need? Yeah, how much do you want? I said, 10. And he said, what? And I said, 10. He said, well, minimum order would be 25,000 yards. <gasps> oh, my gosh. Were you like, <laughs> you wanted 10 yards, and he said minimum was 25,000? $25, $25, it's $2 a yard <laughs> for a good, sturdy, 100% cotton. Oh, my And I said, uh, okay, uh, I'm, not qu I'm not quite there yet. And I said, I'll have to call you back. So I did some more research. Sure, pretty soon I find through a friend, a company in Charlotte, North Carolina, Keir Manufacturing, K-E-I-R. Ralph Keir was his name, I'm sure many years ago, passed away. And I told him what I wanted, just like the other fella, and he said, sure, we can do that. And he said, and he was gonna how do many yards do you need? And I said, 10. He said, that's fine. I said, you're kidding. He said, nope. And I said, I will drive it to you, <laughs> drive it down on Saturday. I said, I'm a teacher, or I work for the school system in Alexandria, Virginia. And he said, well, why don't you just mail it? And I said, I'm afraid I'd get lost. So I drove it down to Charlotte and presented it to him, and he started showing me. Well, this particular company, the reason 10 yards was not a problem, their major business was printing fabrics for ladies' blouses. <laughs> and it could be roses. It could be sunflowers, but they are used to doing 10 yards because the garment maker would present their quote-unquote new line of the season at the New York fashion shows. Oh, wow. So they just the, they didn't need a ton of To it. the buyers for Macy's and all the big guys. And so then when Macy's comes in and says, we oh. want 10,000 ladies' blouses in this red rose pattern, then that they know how much the fabric you're going to print. And so Ralph says, but what we, it has to be at least 97% polyester because uh, this is a heat transfer way of printing. He said, and it will never shrink or fade. And I said, oh, wow. And uh, so he said, here's about the only thing I can do. Were you yards, worried about that? Ten, I, 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 it hadn't sunk in yet, but he said, here's 10 yards of fabric I can use right here. And I said, uh, oh, oh. And he, I said, okay, I'm going to do it. And the reason I did it is because I had to have a two-piece suit to get pictures for my to ad, promote it. For my ad in Bowhunter magazine. Oh, okay. And I had to have it, like, right now. To you know, get it done. To get get it in that ad so uh now it's 1979 but he gets the fabric and he ships it to me and i get a seamstress to make the two-piece suit for me and a guidance counselor at tc williams high school mike graffio was a his sideline job was a, a photographer he went to the archery uh, archery club with me and t took the photographs. Wow. And uh, now though that I still do have, of course, uh, and that was the first ad in Bowhunter magazine that had my, had a photograph in it. Well, I've had. It's so crazy because Bowhunter magazine was already out. I mean, I was working in an archery shop, but that was the first commercial camouflage ever made for hunters. Yep. Like that's just bizarre to me. It, 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 it's, it, it, you yeah, revolutionized the industry. I mean, look at how many patterns it, and how many, I mean, there's a million of them now and you started it all. Yeah, I had, it's, it's interesting. Uh, the, the, this is fascinating. The fellow that ran Walls, Walls was, Walls and Carhartt were huge customers of ours. And I'll never forget Wayne Sprinkle. I guess it was Carhartt said after, Ma, see, we were 
there was only tree bark and military camo from 1980 to 85. We, 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 our first ad ran in a bow hunter in uh, fall of 85. So what happened when that ad ran? Well, what happened? That's a whole nother story. I had a PO box and everything all set up. And so all you had was a PO box. Yep. And I sent my ad, ad into (laughs) bow hunter and uh, a couple months later in, in my mail, I get the bow hunter magazine. And I'm so excited, and I opened up, and there's my ad, my first first ad. And I think I did prior, on a, I know I did on a prior publication, I put a little two-by-two two thing back in the, oh, uh, in the, just the guide section of coming soon, Jim Crumley's tree bark camo. And that's all it said. Okay. And, and what year? So that, that, that first ad ever ran 19, what year? 1980, fall of 1980. 1980 in Bowhunter Magazine. So the Bowhunter Magazine arrives, and I'm just very excited. So first Monday, I get off from work at school. I go to the post office and go to my box. Nothing. Nothing. For two weeks. Oh. Nothing. So I finally call Bowhunter Magazine. And I said, I've got a question. Sure. Has anyone that you know of ever put an ad advertising something for sale in Bowhunter and never getting an order? <laughs> what did they say? And he said, well, I'm not sure. Do you have an ad with us? And I said, I do. And he said, what is it? And I said, tree bark camouflage. He said, oh, that's brand new. And I said, yes. And he said, and you want to know about getting a, You haven't gotten any orders. And I said, Yes. And he said, well, the magazine's not out yet. Oh, and I oh. says, well, I got one two weeks ago. He said, that's advertiser's copy. Oh, no way. So you were freaking he out said, because you thought all these said, people had got the magazine and nobody was ordering. And I said, oh, oh. okay. He said, uh, the magazine goes in, out to, uh, tomorrow or no, next week. Anyway, we get to a point to I, on a Monday, I get off from work at school and I go to the P.O. box, and there's a little pink slip in my P.O. box. And it's bring to the front desk. And I go to the front desk, and she says, oh, yes. And she comes, and she brings a sack. Nuh-uh. And there were over are you 200 orders. You are kidding me. From one ad in Bowhunter Magazine. Well, the, it kept, and it kept coming. I had 1,000 two-piece suits and 1,000 hats made. The ad hit in September, uh, and they were gone by the end of September. <gasps> that was the good news. Uh and then I kept getting orders. Oh, so shit. now I'm having to send cards to people saying, I'm sorry, we are sold out for this season. Oh, you couldn't get them made quick enough. Uh, and uh, I said, we'll refund your money or hold you for back order. Oh, people were sending time, money. They were sending time. checks with. It had to be a, a money, a money order because I didn't have, char- you didn't have charge. I didn't oh, have charge yeah. cards and I couldn't take personal check. Money order only. 1995 each piece. And four ninety five for the hat. So, uh, I I sent these postcards back to everybody who I couldn't fill, and said we'll have suits back in in time for spring gobbler season. Uh, let me know if to cancel your order, and I will send you a refund, or I will hold it for back order. Oh no one God. canceled. Not nobody. One, not one. Oh my! So you knew you so had something. The next time around, I was able. Oh here. Here now, this these thousand suits were made not only in 100% polyester, but it was 100% polyester double knit, which was like the Nehru jacket. <laughs> and it was all right until you walked through Briars, and then you came out like a white fuzzball because the in, <laughs> it was interior was white. It yes, was sir. pulling out. I got to the point on my sleeves, I was taking a match and burning it down. And so I started getting complaints. People started calling. I really love this, but, uh, you know, ta-da-da-da-da-da. And I said, uh, I'm, the next set of suits I have will be 100% cotton. So if you would like to send your polyester suit back, I will replace it at no charge with 100% cotton. You're kidding no me. One ever sent, no one ever sent one back. No, they liked it too much. They to ended up back. buying the, the cotton one, too. Uh, of course, I had to fill back orders. 
because I already had their money and they didn't want refunds. And then the next, of course, the next time I had 2,500 suits, oh. then, then it just started mushrooming. And that was uh, uh, the second year, so that was 80. Well, first of all, I knew from what happened that I, that I was going into a new career. Oh, my God. It's like so the teaching was going to be done. I was, well, teached for five years, administrator for six, been, or almost, yeah, seven. So end of school year of 81, I retired. My first retirement was from the school system. Wow. And Treebark became my job. Now, when did the dealers start calling? Or when did the big um, stores start calling? Was it pretty quick? I went, I went to uh, a local dealer who had come goose hunting with me on the eastern shore. So I love this. So you guided for duck? Goose and duck. Goose. And, and then started guiding for, for deer. bow hunters. Yeah. See, look at that. I knew. I, and, uh, of course, now, the, uh, now once Tree Bark got started, I had my most of my uh, people I guided came from New Jersey and Pennsylvania. Uh I bet you got and some they, good guide they, stories. And they, I do. And they, <laughs> and they would come every year, uh, from oh gosh, eighty five to ninety. Uh, Did you take any mafia guys? And probably. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, and they would all buy tree bark once they came and saw it. They would all buy tree bark. Wow. And they would go back to Pennsylvania, and New Jersey, oh, and their friends. Their friends were buying, and so that's what mushroomed it to the point that. Uh, my first shot show, uh, 1982, um, and uh, it was at the where the Cowboys play, and there were like 250 exhibitors in the entire shot show, and I was on an upper mezzanine, and this young fella stops by. A lot of people would just stop by and look, and then they'd kind of whisper, "Oh, I saw that in Bow Hunter magazine." And, this young fellow stops and he's looking, he's looking. Finally, he comes and he introduces himself. And I looked at his badge. He had his badge turned. You couldn't so tell. You couldn't see who he so was. So you couldn't see who he was. And he said, um, I'm interested in this. I'm a bow hunter. And I said, Great. And he said, uh, Can you do, are you into mass production and everything? And I said, Well, I, I have the contacts to do that. Mostly I've just been selling direct. He said, okay, and then he flipped his badge, and his name is today Pat Snyder, the uh, hunting clothing buyer for Cabela's. <laughs> oh, wow. And so he said, okay, uh, let me, let's do a little, sit down and have a little chat, and we did. He said, when I get back, I'll get you my first orders. And for, I had to deliver, uh, $65,000 worth of tree bark to Cabela's by September 1st. Were you just like, uh-oh, how am I going to get this got done? Got that done. I got, you it, got done. it done. Yeah, through contacts, I got it done. And This is such this, a cool success this, story. This was a, this was a programmed order. Uh, it was that for first shipment, and then at the end of October, you wanted the same amount, the second shipment. Well, it sold out by the middle of September, and they wanted the next order immediately. Oh, my God. And I couldn't do it. Yeah, were you like, hey, guys. <laughs> you know, I didn't have my own plan. I was having this done yeah. you know, by by another company. And um, Pat Snyder calls me and says, you put, you're putting us in a terrible back order situation. Oh. Jim. And I said, man, I <laughs> They're buying your stuff and he's, and, but, he's, but he said, that's the bad news. He said, the good news is we're selling through on everything we carry. At one point in time... Uh, when tree bark was at its peak, uh, there was sixty on. There were sixty six pages in the Cabela's Fall catalog that had a tree bark item on it. You are kidding me. Of some me. sort, and of course, by then we're licensing people to do this and do that and do the other. So, and then from we were the only hunting oh camouflage gosh. from eighty to eighty five. Eighty six. Bill Jordan comes out with Real Tree. Yeah. Uh, and eighty and later eighty early eighty seven mossy oak comes out with mossy, mossy oak. oak and yeah. then for the next several years it's the three of us um, and then like you said earlier after that there was literally they that's when the stuff started when popping the computers up when, see we still were doing real trees first pattern was with a textile artist yeah mossy oaks was with the textile artist uh, 
we had sued a textile company in 83 uh, for copying our pattern. They, oh, they got it. They no got it. At, they picked it up, uh, picked up a sample of it at the 82 shot show. And then they went back. Them sorry, rascals. Went back and to, copied it. Went back to New Jersey and the next spring, because I was, all, they sent to all companies the mailing list of the shot show that had been shot show the previous year. They sent this letter, this large envelope with this picture of this pattern called natural bark. Mm-mm. And of course, it was tree bark exactly. It just didn't have the uh, tree bark in it. Instead of tree bark it, logo in it, it had natural bark. <clears throat> I took it to my attorneys who had gotten my copyright and my trademark for me, firm in Alexandria. They said, we don't take, uh, you know, the cases on, you know, don't pay us unless we get you, but we will tell you this. You tell your bank that this is a slam dunk. They didn't almost copy you. They copied you. Exactly. And we took you all the way through copyright, trademark, and everything. This is a slam dunk. And so it was a textile mill in New Jersey that we actually early on had gotten quotes from to print fabric for us. And what they wanted was they wanted, instead of a 50% deposit on the bill, they wanted the full amount up front. And so I didn't do it, but I'd already sent them my stuff. Mm-hmm. And uh, so we were the first camouflage pattern ever to go to federal court in Alexandria, Virginia, in a federal court. protect your patent. Federal court is a six-panel jury, and we won the case, $400 in damages, $400,000 in damages, plus our court costs, which was a quarter of a million. Uh, And that was over in 85, and six months later, Realtree shows up with their first ad. I send Bill Jordan a letter. Uh, and he sent me a piece of fabric, and he said, I promise you that I did copy your idea for a bark pattern, but I did not copy your pattern. I showed that to the attorneys, and, and they said, we agree with him. Uh, Jim, the thing here is you won your case, and you have a valid copyright for your pattern and anything that resembles it closely that could be mistaken as yours. But this is different. But this is different. And because of what you've created, you've created a market that didn't exist. And you had 100% of it for five years. And that's impossible to, to be happy with it in I the guess. United States. And they're gonna, everybody's going to copy it's it, come free, up with spinoffs. The free enterprise system. Right, right. And same thing with Mossy Oak. Sent Toxie a letter. He sent a letter very similar back. And he tell, they both tell you they scared me to death when they got the letter, you know, oh. first. <laughs> But uh, so we ended up having a very, very, very almost cordial competitive good thing. We got along with most each- people in the industry are pretty good, good yeah, people. Yeah, and we got along fine. And uh, so that's what we did. Um, and after 10 years of doing a lot of them, having a lot of the manufacturing done, I stopped doing all that because we were to the point that we could license people to do just sell people fabric. Right. Well, you also do what they do. had an Eastern Arrow. Like, we had the Eastern Arrow. I mentioned like, Pete. Uh, imagine that, an Eastern Arrow in, in tree bark. That's and, pretty awesome. And, of course, I mentioned PSE was the first tree bark bow, and then uh, Joe Johnston and Hoyt took it on after tree bark, after uh, PSE's license ex- expired. Yes, sir. Joe Johnston at, uh, at Hoyt took it on, and we did the Hoyt bows. Um that we did uh, Remington shotguns and uh, it, it just things just kept mushrooming and mushrooming. So it had to be unreal. Were you just blown away by it, though, yes. Jim? Honestly, did you had ever? Had no clue. Did you? Yeah, didn't see it going no. like that, like that huge. I had no clue. You were so, just trying to come up with a better pattern for yourself, realized it was amazing, and it. it just grew from there. That's it. So I. Um, and you're wearing what I love. I got to tell you, I'm surrounded by elk mounts, over 40 white tail mounts, a beautiful mule deer mount, turkeys. I mean, it's just, and you're wearing tree bark right I now, which do. is so cool. The critters, we've been. Uh, now, why did you name it T-R-E bark uh, instead of T-R-E-E? Because I always wondered that because I was like, it's does, does the guy not know how to spell tree bark? Like I thought, huh, this is a hunter. Very good question. <laughs> Very good question. And my first. 
uh, trademark that I submitted yes, was T R E E capital B A R K yeah. capital T R E E one word yes sir tree bark the attorneys send that into the patent trademark office. oh trademark patent, patent yeah. trademark yes, office sir. and that particular examiner said I think this we have a problem here in that spelling it this way a person buying the product um, uh, especially ordering it through the mail might think that it's supposed to be actual tree bark the bark made from the bark of a tree oh. and so we that's that's how taking the e out worked i'll be danged but that's kind of irritated me when because then real, real tree, tree came out right and they spelled it real and tree they spelled it real tree and i said <laughs> they got and a my, better attorney my attorney said different examiner <laughs> So, Dude, this uh, is so neat. That, that was, this is uh, such neat information. And at one point in time, when we had to start getting foreign copyrights and trademarked registrations in China, Walmart and Kmart got involved, and, and Cabela's Jeez. and Bass Pro 2, and they were sending fabric offshore to the other countries. And and we got a, from a, a, a from China, we got this letter. The attorney says, you get, we got this letter. For, they're not going to. They, they're objecting to your registration of tree bark trademark in China. And I said, and I said, why is that? And they said, too close. It closely resembles Reebok. Oh my God. R E B O K. Oh my God. And I said, it's got a T in front tree. And he said, I know. He said, so we're sending a letter back objecting. We finally obviously got it worked out. But this, there had to be all kinds of crazy oh, things stuck, like you that. You never knew what was going to happen next. So 10 years of, of manufacturing uh, and then 10 years of licensing. And after 20 years, I said, you know what? Um, we had moved out to where we live now. Uh, we moved to Roanoke. Sherry and I got married in 1985. Yep. And we moved to Roanoke. Uh, then you were a firm bachelor, man. She must have I was, been we, one heck yeah, of a I, I was confirmed bachelor, but we had known each other in high school, and I actually hunted with her dad and brother. Uh, we lost track of each other for 20 years uh, after we graduated from high school and uh, then ran back into each other. Uh, Christmas and that was all Christmas of 84, and six months later we were married. I still hadn't figured out exactly how all that came down. But, uh, <laughs> I was uh, 38 years old and first married in uh, her, actually her second marriage, but uh, that was meant to be also. And so. Yeah. Cause you're, how old are you now? If you don't mind me asking. 76. Sir? 76 years old. Man, yeah. that's awesome. And I hope, let me tell you something, folks. I know you can't see Jim sitting in front of me right now, but I hope I am in as good a shape. He is like my dad who just, this man goes a hundred percent. He literally grabbed my deer and helped me load it in, in, in his, in his side by side the other day. And is just a bundle of energy, which is awesome. He's strong. I grabbed him. I, we were just sitting in the vehicle. I grabbed him. And, man, it's just a guy thing. You can't help yourself. You just flex a little bit. It's just every guy does it, and, and, and you can't help. But I was like, holy chowder. Man, you, what are you doing? Like, what? You know, are you on steroids? I mean, he's still strong as heck at 76, so I love that. All right, so I'm sorry. Keep, keep going. So, so you, you, you'd been doing it for a long time, and you had a great relationship with Mossy Oak and Realtree as competitors. Yes. And then what happened? So I said, you know what? I'm going to test the market here. And uh, both of those guys over the years had said, look, if you ever decide you want to sell, I'm interested. And so please let me know. So, and I told him I would. Uh, probably looking back on it uh, was not the brightest thing to do because come to find out later, there were a lot of other companies, including Bass Pro and Cabela's that would have been interested. Uh, and uh, so... I, both Realtree and Mossy Oak made offers. And you ended up doing the Mossy Oak? And I ended up going with Mossy Oak. And I thought it was going to be just one of those buyouts, obviously buying me out of the market and uh, see you, Jim. Right. Yeah, you're done. Thank have, you. Have fun, which is. Yeah, that's what, what, the way most of those things go. But in Toxie's case, he said, but you got to stay with us for at least five more years. And uh, well, they knew you were the figure. So I did, and we did, and those next five years were fantastic because 
tree bark got placed in mossy oak by then was licensing only also and the big deal for us was russell athletic and i want to just for people that are listening I, I, because i learned this and I, I didn't know this when he says licensing only and please correct me if i'm if i misspeak here um but basically they weren't manufacturing anything anymore like when you started you were manufacturing the clothing and selling it when he says licensing only that means they basically would just send somebody the 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 computer you know to be deal and they right. could print it themselves they could send it to somebody to get it printed so you weren't really manufacturing anything anymore it was just licensing and that pattern is correct. that correct licensing okay. the pattern for somebody that's listening and, that I, may and not of course know. i had because uh, i was confused. i had more than one pattern by then obviously we all did yes sir and but when cabela's was ready to do this new pattern uh uh they had a license to take the take the uh, films to do such and send it to whoever they wanted to print their fabrics and they would pay us a, a per yard royalty gotcha. to do that uh, we didn't have any, very few uh, actual, except for bows and guns and arrows, individual royalties on an individual item. It was just yard goods, yard goods, yard goods, but it was substantial back in, back in the day. So uh, uh, when Russell Athletic got bought by um, Berkshire Hathaway, they were put uh, in, under the management of Fruit of the Loom. And eventually well within a year's time uh russell athletic was told they were no longer going to be doing camouflage wow and so tree bark went away basically in 2005 2006 um so and there never was anybody else that really to come along and take it nor did they really need to because so many other people we're doing their own patterns now. Right. They were so similar. There's so many things yeah. even now that look like it. So it's and Toxie and I talk about it a lot. And, and, uh, you still good friends with Toxie? Oh yeah. Very good with pretty much everybody at Mossy Oak, but, uh, I lost contact with Bill Jordan, but, but with everybody at Mossy Oak and it's like and Toxie always, he tries to make you feel better. Of course, his sons are pretty much doing the deal at Mossy Oak now, Neil and Daniel. Yes, sir. Uh, Toxie's dad, Mr. Fox, one of the finest people in the world, the whole family. So, but uh, Toxie says, but the one thing, man, nobody could ever take from you. You were the first. You did it. You started it. That's and so you're cool. the reason we're that we're I'm here. here. Yeah, right. That's exactly so, right. That's greatly appreciated, and and uh, we stay in touch, and uh, so and Sherry does too. So. Uh, when I look back on it, as I've been asked before, some magazine writers say, if you could change anything through all this, what would you have done differently? That's one thing. And they said, yeah. I said, be taller like Toxie. <laughs> You're and, uh, so that's about the only thing I would change. <laughs> that's great. Man, that is awesome. That, you know, the story... Your story is fascinating to me, and it, it's I feel like it's a personal story. And I say that because, again, there were people that had, you know, uh, uh, that, that have influences in an industry. And, and not only did you have a huge influence in an industry, but it was the first camouflage I ever bought. Now, granted, it was the first stuff I'd ever seen, too. You know, and I'm, I'm getting long in the tooth and gray-headed, and, and a lot of people don't Remember that there was a time before there were tree stands, you know, commercially made. And yes. before, you know, before there was a, a, you know, a camouflage, you could just go out and buy. It was just military surplus. So, you know, that was the first camouflage I ever bought. And the poster of you, which I'm going to try and find one online or something. Somebody's got to have one. But that poster of you and looking at that in the archery shop, and I just thought, man, that is the coolest thing. And that's a bow hunter right there. And look at that. He invented this stuff. And when I went out hunting with that, and I mean, I wore it out. My first pictures are all literally tree bark. Yeah. And and it, I felt like I was invisible. So you really had an impact, you could say, as much as anybody else on, on me. So I, I just think that is really, really cool. And well, it's thank you, such an honor sitting here with you. Thank you. Yeah, that, that part of it's fun. I, I still get to... Uh, responses in, in cases uh, most recently in september i was invited to do seminars at the, the greenbrier resort 
which is in White Sulphur Springs, West Virginia, and a Fancy. Real, real classy place. But Jim Justice, who owns it now, has always been a hunter. You know, he's a West Virginia guy. And uh, when they called to ask me to do it, I said, I can't. I said I hadn't done seminars in probably 20 years. I said, they said, well, you. Uh, are, you're going to come, aren't you? And I said, well, just, did everybody think I'm dead or something? <laughs> they, and the young fellow laughed. Uh, he, he laughed and he said, well, if you come, then you can show him that you're not. <laughs> That's great. What a great response. So I did. And we had a wonderful weekend. Uh, that was the the usual, same weekend as that uh, Bass Pro does the what fall. I guess they still do the fall festival. Yes, sir. That's the very same weekend, hunting and fishing weekend uh, last September last week in September. So I still get neat things that happen. And, and, and like you get a lot of people first deer I ever shot. I was in tree bark camouflage first gobbler I ever shot. I was in tree bark camouflage. And now there's a big market for the, for the vintage, old stuff, yeah. the vintage stuff. It's unreal. The retro that we, we see. Don't you wish you had a whole friggin' barn well, of it? Cause you could, you could really cash well, in like, there. Uh, but... Like your friend CJ, they said, you know, in your basement, you have a gold mine. <laughs> the problem is it's all, they're all mediums. <laughs> <laughs> Medium shorts. That's, that's so awesome. Neither you or CJ are included <laughs> in that medium short situation <laughs> that's so deep and i i gotta close with one thing and, and i again i i can't thank you enough for taking your time and and picking up my deer with me yesterday was special and i i guarantee it meant more to me that it, it, you'll you'll know but you know i was proud for you to see the one i shot with my recurve and to help me pick it up but my understanding is not not only in talking to cj he goes man that guy he, he just he's a deer hunting fanatic like he loves it but i understand that squirrels you are like a huge squirrel hunter. I love fried squirrels we, much we, as we, I do. We, uh, yes, we, uh, it is a big deal because it was the first thing I ever hunted with my dad, with my Savage 410, 22 over and under. Yes, sir. And I guess I was. Was 10, that like the 10. Savage 24V where it had 22 and 410? 22 on, on top, the top, 410 on the bottom. Yes, sir. Savage. And uh, I guess I was eight years old. Uh, but I had still had to sit with dad, but I, I got to shoot. I, and it was just, you know, it was always the start of the hunting season for us. And it just stuck with me. Plus my grandparents in North Carolina, uh, my granddad used to uh, talk about his squirrel hunting days. And he said, you know, son, in the depression said it was a staple on our eating table. And I said, you know, I was just, and he said, I don't even know whether there was limits back then. And I said, well, Grandpa or Papa, I said, Papa, how many squirrels do you think you shot in a season for to be able to feed the family? He said, uh, you know, I never really counted. I usually stopped with a, when we had a gallon of brains. Oh, my God. And I just stare at him, and all. I believe, oh yeah, they oh yeah, the brains the squirrel, and the meat. Yep. Yeah, I've yeah, had I've yeah. had fried squirrel yeah. brains with eggs, yes, and sir. it's not too shabby. No, it's not. But I still, yeah, we have a great squirrel season. We even have a first two weeks of June. We have a squirrel season in Virginia now. I didn't know that Texas you can shoot them year round. It's like coats, but uh, we, I do still. I go squirrel hunting uh, a couple an hour or two every single morning that it's not deer season. <laughs> I love it. And I usually stop at three cause I don't want to clean that many anymore. Um, but, uh, usually how do you cook them? This is a, I got to, I got to get I a tip to from, from Jim Crumley on his squirrel, favorite squirrel recipe. I, I, I used to do it differently than I do today. Uh, but a recipe came out in Virginia wildlife magazine. I said, well, now this is interesting cause I did it the way grandma did and dad did, which was par, you know, Boil them first, yes sir, till tender, and then do a quick fry, yes sir, and then do your gravy and everything. And it was always, and either, then now would you pull it off the bone and just put it in uh, there, or would you leave it on the bone? It, it some you would leave on the bone, and some you would uh, pick it off. And I do just like we do when we go f for pheasants. Uh, I package the hind legs um, separately from the rest of from the back or the front. Yeah, and when I you have guests, we serve. Uh, a platter of squirrel legs like the quail plantations do down south you'll get a platter of quail legs yeah almost like frog I'll, legs i'll never forget telling a lady 
uh, one time. She said, so Sherry says you love to cook wild game. And I said, yes. And she said, what are you having tonight? And I said, squirrel legs. <laughs> and she stared at me kind of blank for a second. She said, wow, I didn't even know squirrels laid eggs. <laughs> I just kind of stared at her blank. Oh, my God. I remember that guy that That's had that comedian said, here's your sign. If I'd have had a sign, I would have given it to her. But anyway, that's my, my favorite. That's my favorite way to serve squirrel is a platter of hind legs. Gotcha. And, uh, and how do you do it now? Now, um, the, uh, the fronts, I, 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 I boil down and pick, pick the meat. Okay. And that'll go for gravies and soups and stuff. The, the hind legs, uh, I do at 275 covered in olive oil oh. until they're fork tender. And then I do them in a seasoned flour in a, in a quick brown, quick crispy. Quick and I really like that way because like most wild meat, except for bear, it's lean and it can be dry. And that way it's so with, with an olive oil, it's, it stays moist until it's falling off the bone. I'll let you try one. There you go. There's a, there's a, there's a recipe from Jim. Jim, listen, thank you so much. I really appreciate your time. And I hope anybody listening just learned a little bit about history, not just bow hunting or rifle, but a, a piece of, of, of history and a neat story about a success story really um in the u.s and it's it's just a, a awesome story and and if you're a hunter you have uh you have heard of tree bark you've heard a real tree and mossy oak the guys that followed him and then all the jillions of people that followed all three so pretty dang cool but i'm fred eichler thanks for listening to the everything eichler podcast with jim crumlin 